Well, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 5 is where we're going to be today. However you access those, if you don't have a way to access the Bible, most of the scripture will be on the screen today that we're going to look at. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we launched a series called Greatest Hits, basically Jesus' Greatest Hits. And there is this grouping of teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 known as the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus went outside on a mountainside and he basically... Uh, it says, and these crowds are following him. Matthew 5, 1 through 2 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And we're, again, not sure exactly how this happened, how many times he taught, but what we do know is this. In these teachings, they are some incredible words. Some of the greatest teachings, not just of Jesus, but of anybody that have ever been spoken in this world. Teachings that have reverberated all throughout history, ever since they have been spoken. They have been played on repeat over and over again. I don't know about you, but I, I'm one of those sometimes that when I really like a song, I just, you know, repeat, 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 repeat. I just keep going over until I'm absolutely sick of the song. Like, I can't take it anymore. I, I can remember there was a song It came, I heard on the radio this week or on some station. If you remember, I can only imagine. Do you guys remember that song? Mercy Me, it was a while ago. I think it came out in 2001. I remember where I was the first time I heard that song, and I remember where I was the last time I ever wanted to hear that song because I had listened to it so much. It was just like one of those, but these teachings aren't like that. Like I can read through the Sermon on the Mountain time and time again, and something new jumps out. Some way that my life is going on at that moment just intersects with this truth in such a way that it brings new, amazing things into my life. And the way that we're looking at this is we're dividing it into eight sections. And over the next two months, we're really going to dive into these sections and learn how these greatest hits of Jesus impact our life. But again, the way that I'm helping us remember this is actually attaching it to each teaching to a hit song that came out at some point. Last week, we went country, which was a hard thing for me to do because I am not a country music fan, but we had people that were actually from out of town who seemed to love the song. They were singing along with it. And uh, this week, I'm going more modern, more like uh, pop, and it is the song is Candle in the Wind by Elton John. And before we play it for just a bit, I know that it was actually released twice, one in 1974 as a tribute to Marilyn Monroe, and then it was re-recorded in 97 as a tribute to Princess Diana, and that version sold over 33 million copies. It is, since they've ever been keeping records from the 1950s, it is the most sold pop song uh, ever, 33 million copies, considered the best-selling single of all time. We'll get a little few bars of candle in the wind, Elton John. Alright, we can keep 
keep that one going. We've all heard this song probably many, many times. And the reason I picked this song is because both times it was released, it was actually about a life that was cut short, a life that was full of potential, that could have been doing more and had so much ahead of it, but because of tragedy was cut short, snuffed out. And it was like this feeling of regret of what could have been. What could have Marilyn Monroe continued to do without the suicide? What could have happened in Princess Diana's life, the impact that she was making if it would have been a tragedy of that accident that day? And it's this over, just this feeling when you listen to the song, it's like this blues come over you, this regret of what could be this idea of a candle in the wind that was blown out. And this is exactly what these next few verses that we're going to talk about this morning. This is the example that Jesus uses. It's a challenge by Jesus to not end up at the end of our lives and look back on our days with a sense of regret, a sense of what could have been, a sense of wishing we would have done more. And we're going to look at this passage and understand how Jesus really is challenging us to live a life of freedom that is free, though, of regret as well. Now, before we jump into the passage, let me tell you, I I believe there's two types of regret that we have in our life. The first one I would call an active regret, and this is things I wish that I didn't do. Like Most of us can relate to this very quickly, right? You can look back and go, yesterday, I made some poor decisions. It was not a good day. I regret what I did yesterday, last week, last month. We can all, we can start listing these over and over again. This is not difficult for us to do. Our past sins, our past failures, things that we look back on, if I, if I could relive that day and not do that, I would not do that. We all have those moments in our life. I don't think this is actually the most harmful type of regret because the, even those things, our failures, we can learn from. We can grow from. We can take a look back at them, study them, and go, I'm not going to do that again. That thing that I did, I'm going to make sure I don't do it again. There's a great saying. I think it's been attributed to 15 different people, but it's failure isn't fatal unless it's final, unless you let it stop you from growing. And so even this kind of act of regret of like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That decision I made in high school, college, whatever, we can still grow and get beyond that. But there's a second kind of regret that I think some of us deal with even more so, and I call it a passive regret, regret, which are things I wish I did do. I look back and I think about things I wish I would have done, opportunities that came my way that I didn't take, risks that I wish I would have stepped into, time that I wasted doing nothing that I've actually used to do something else. I, I mean, the, the one that jumps into my mind, do you know, we, Katie and I have been trying to learn French, and I have this app on my phone called Busu, which you can put in there, like, how, many time, how much time a day do you want to spend learning French? And on this day, you will be conversationally fluent in French. And so when I first downloaded the app, I put in 30 minutes a day. I'm like, that's nothing. I can do 30 minutes a day. And according to that, I should have been conversationally fluent on June 24th of this year. I still know how to say my name and ask your name, but I have failed to give 30 minutes a day to this app, which I thought would be very easy to do. And I regret now that I'm past that date that I thought I would, I would know it by now. I look back and I was like, why was I playing Candy Crush? Why was I playing whatever else instead of just 30 minutes on this app? And so now I'm having to redo it again. I think it's September 14th or something like that, that I'm, if I do 30 minutes, an hour, 
I think I actually bumped it up to 45 minutes a day to try to make up, and I probably won't do it. But it's like this regret where we just look back and go, what did I do with my time? Why didn't I take that risk? What, what did I walk into that opportunity? You know, you look at, we all wish we had 2020 hindsight when it like comes to buying stocks, right? I mean, if you would have put $100 into Apple stock when it first offered its initial public offering, today that hundred or $1,000, if you put in $1,000, it'd be worth over $500,000 today. Just a small, small investment would have brought major, major return. Of course, it takes time and all this. Time. We have these regrets of wishing we would have done things. And these verses really focus on how do we avoid this passive regret in our life of not ending our life going, ah, what if, what if? And I don't know about you, but that's one of the biggest fears in my life is that I get to whenever my, the end of my days or whenever I, my days of influence and living come to an end and investing and pouring into people and I look back and I, and I see more missed opportunities than I do opportunities that I actually picked up and used to their fullest. And this is what Jesus deals with here. So let's read this passage, and then we're going to break it into three sections and deal with it this morning. Matthew 5, 13 through 18 says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's talking about having a purpose, that you are salt, you're supposed to do something. Then it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. That's talking about having a passion, something that we live out where we impact people's lives. And then verse 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've actually come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And these last two verses talk about a philosophy that we live up, a way that helps us make right decisions, to take up the right choices in our life. Now, if you weren't here last week, we actually ended last week with a study of the first few verses that helped us learn that we're on this journey with Jesus. This relationship is not a, a one-time hit and then we're done. It's this journey that often takes us on a broken road, leads us to difficult places. We meander around. It really challenges us to grow in some areas. We stop, have difficult conversations, and then we move on. But it leads us to a place where we can do two things. It says that you will eventually become a peacemaker. You'll become a person of influence. You actually, when you walk into a room, you bring peace with you. And then you'll be a person who's able to overcome persecution, who's able to deal with the difficulties when people even push back at the very core of who you are. And those two things, being a peacemaker and handling persecution, means that you have become a person of influence, that you have become a person that can stand in almost any circumstance and let your light shine, to be salt, to be this light to the world. And what he's saying here, as you're doing that, the absolute worst thing you could do is to not be salt, light, or to live by a philosophy. To make yourself dull and useless like bad salt. It's just thrown out. Or to dim your light and hide your light from other people and uh, make it where it doesn't shine and impact other people. When you're a person of influence, finally, 
the worst thing you can do is set yourself on a shelf as if you're done and finished. Like a book that you've already read, you know, through, and you're like, oh, that was good, and you put it on a shelf and never think about it again. And we think sometimes once I've been through something with God, I'll close that chapter in my life. I'll just put it on a shelf. Maybe I'll pull it out again one day if I need it. But it's just, it's not, you know, it was the past. It doesn't affect me now. And Jesus is actually saying that is the worst thing you can do. From the beginning, Jesus is saying following him is not a partial lifestyle. It doesn't change just part of who you are, not just a, a morsel. It is, impacts all of your life. That's salt. It is It's understanding that you are completely impacted. It's also following Jesus is not a passive lifestyle. It's not something that's just you and hidden. It actually impacts those around you. And it's also, it says here, he talks about this law that it will be around forever until everything is accomplished. It's not a plateaued lifestyle. It's not going to be where we get to somewhere and we just stop. We're finally done. And we are no more growth No more options, no more opportunities. He said that will never happen. This life is active. It is fully impact and it is constantly moving forward. That's what this life is about. And in these three sections of teachings, we see how Jesus is telling us that living out this journey in such a way that we're being salt and light and living by this philosophy will actually help us get to the end of our lives with little to no regret of what could have been so let's look at these three things it says first you are the salt of the earth but if salt lost its taste how can it be restored it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled there's a ton of symbolism in this verse that we won't get to all of it today but let me tell you a few things salt when this illustration deals with our internal nature a change that happens inside of us something that shifts inside of who you are If you don't, I'm sure most of you took chemistry or biology at some point in school. Salt is made up of two chemicals, sodium and chloride, that come together. But it's actually formed out of salt water that has incredible heat pushed down on it. That the presence of the sun just constantly pushes on it, evaporates the water, and leaves only this combination of sodium and, and chloride together. And it's this idea, this steady heat, this constant presence that formed this salt in our life. And I love the imagery here of God's love never not shining on us. That what forms a change in who we are is the constant pressure, the constant presence of God's love, grace, mercy, and peace bearing down on our life. Once we begin to experience forgiveness, once we begin to experience true love and true mercy in our life, something new forms, something comes about in our life, and an internal change happens. But the other way that salt is formed is, as I mentioned with that sun there, is the evaporation of water. It's the removing of something as well. As that water leaves, it leaves the salt behind. And for us, the imagery there is the same thing happens in our life. As we're getting into the presence of God, as we're seeing this change happen, things start to evaporate from our life. Desires that were so important before are shifted and changed or just disappear completely. Sins that used to bring us pleasure now seem to bring us pain and want versus fulfillment. Attitudes that we used to cling to, now we let go of freely and they start to be removed from our life and we're constantly now just focused on this relationship that we have. 
which simply leads behind this combination of the two elements of the sodium and the chloride, this bonding that happens. And I love the picture that as much as God loves us and it feels like, hey, that sun is coming at us and Jesus came and paid a beautiful price to remove sin, to bring about a change in our life. There's also a third thing that happens in our life, this bonding of two elements, which is us and the Spirit of God. Literally come together and the, the Bible teaches the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us, to give us constant presence of God, to give us constant wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And this is what he's saying, when you are the salt of the earth, he says God has created you, God has formed you, has taken you and his spirit with the removal of sin through the payment of Christ and his constant presence of love and grace. He says you are new. There's something that is there that wasn't there before. You are the salt of the earth. And this internal change that happens in you is when we decide to actually go on this journey with Christ. And that's what he's telling these people that he's preaching there. As we walk on this journey, I want you, your life to be so changed, so radically different than it was. People can't help but have, but notice that it has been remade. You literally begin to look different, feel different, even taste different. The way you, people are around you, they, they want what you have. And what salt does is three things in our lives. Literally, and then as we live this way, it does this as well. The first thing salt does for you, salt, is it brings flavor into life, right? Being salt to the earth is living a life that brings flavor. Salt enhances the flavor of food, brings out the best in food. It elevates the flavor. There are food I will not eat without salt, like eggs. Eggs are just a mushy mess without salt. But something about putting salt on eggs, like they turn into like this golden, beautiful thing to eat. And then I'm weird. I put salt on like fruit. I love salt on watermelon and cantaloupe and apples. PJ's girlfriend, Chloe, was over the other day. We had some cantaloupe and I asked her if she'd ever tried salt on it. She was like, no. She tried it. She was like, no, this is not for her. But it's just certain things. French fries have to be two things, hot and salty. That's what I, I mean, it, they're just something about that salt that brings out that flavor. And the truth is, our life, our desires will start to feel and taste completely different after we have an encounter with Jesus. He adds something to our life. There's a new flavor about us, something that is enhanced, something that is new. Our very nature and our desires change. And what we often do that creates this passive regret in our life is we try to keep living our lives without that flavor, without that change, without what Jesus has added into it. And we try to be like, I'm going to jump in the salt and then out of the salt. And like kind of back and forth. I'm going to salt myself on Sunday or at Bible study or in the morning when I pray, but I'm going to try to jump back and be exactly what I was before. And not expect that my desires, my taste, my flavors will all change. But that's what redemption is. And we've talked about this in the past. That redemption is taking those corrupt natures of who we are and bringing about, not scooping them out, but bringing them about back to how God intended us to live. So it brings flavor into our life. But the second thing being salt of the earth does is it brings preservation into our life. Salt keeps meat from decay and actually helps wounds heal faster. And following Christ, I want you to hear this this morning, brings healing to our pain. It does. It doesn't mean that it removes the pain. It doesn't mean it's an instant 
heal. But it does mean that his presence allows us to walk through difficult circumstances in our lives. It gives us the the ability to sustain even through some of the deepest and darkest pains. And this is why we sometimes regret not dealing with the broken parts of our lives. I look back and go, I know that part of me was broken. I know I had trouble forgiving people. I know I was a bitter, angry person. I was a lustful, greedy person. I knew I was those things, but I kept them away from the healing power of God instead of allowing his salt and that change in life to come in and deal with even our deepest broken parts. But the third thing salt does is it creates a thirst, right? Salt makes us thirsty, specifically for water. It makes us crave that living water, something that can just quench that thirst. And following Jesus will give us a desire not for death, not for sin, but for life. And the passive regret we can have here is oftentimes filling our life with something that doesn't quench our desires. That living water that Jesus says is there. And as we start to want to, to serve, as we start to want to do good, to, to, to make an impact in people's lives, we start <coughs> trying to do those <coughs> excuse me, things in different ways. We start trying to fill our desires with a different water than the ultimate living water of Christ. And this is learning that this is a relationship. That this connection with Christ is a deep relationship. Are you experiencing the fullness of this internal change, this spiritual DNA in our lives, allowing this to come in and change who you are? Because regret comes when we fight against these forces once we have chosen to actually surrender to Christ. Once we have said, I want to follow you, I want what you want from me, but we start fighting against it. We start trying to limit the amount of flavor that comes into our life. It's literally the best way to me to describe it is trying to walk up an escalator the wrong direction. When you're just going and you're fighting against it, it's not going the way you're supposed to. And you can fight hard enough and go a completely different direction. And that's what it, this regret lives, is when Jesus says, I want to deal with that broken part of you. I want to meet your ultimate desires in your life. I want your life to be so flavorful that it impacts other people's lives. And we fight against and we start running back to who we were. It's like running up an escalator the wrong way instead of running with it the right way and allowing us to move faster than we ever could by ourselves. That's what it means to be salt of the earth. But then he uses this idea of a light that brought us to that song today is saying, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As much as salt was this internal thing, light deals with the external impact that we have when we start to follow Christ. This external impact, our purpose, our pursuits are changed, are transformed. Light, I actually had to I have a minor in physics. I don't think most of you know that. but So I understand how some of this, but I had to go back and look at some physics of like what actually forms light. Like where does light come from? And light is actually formed with the atoms that were once still, or the atoms that are out there in our world are once still, but they get excited. Something excites them. Heat usually gets them going, starts maybe moving them out of their normal state. And as they start to do that, they start to give off energy that creates a light. And this is literally what Jesus did, and I thought it was, what a beautiful picture. Jesus moved us out of our dead, normal state. He brought life. He brought light into our life. What a beautiful picture when he says there is something that has shifted 
in you. But I love also that light is not just a particle. There are particles of light, but these particles move in waves. They actually move. What gets light going from that light bulb to here is not that something just came on there. It actually starts moving out and spreading out its influence. And that's what he says. When you are the light of the world, our lives will not only begin to glow because of the work of Jesus in our life, but it'll begin to go out as we start to impact other people's lives as well. And this is what light does. It illuminates those around you. It brings clarity and perspective. It gives us a sense of direction and understanding. We start to see things better than we've ever seen before. We start to understand things better than we've ever understood before. And our regret is this. And when, when we start to think, this light, once I'm starting to see these things, my goal is to just keep this to myself, to just hold on to it. And we end up trying to hold on and keep the light in and don't let it disturb other people. And this is like this idea that my relationship with Jesus is a personal relationship. And while it is deeply personal, it is not only personal. It's not private. It's designed, once something has happened in you, for your light to glow and go out. It's not trying to read at night with a small reading light and not disturb anybody else. It's actually turning the lights on full bright, opening the shades and letting light shine to illuminate God brings, Christ brings light into our life, not just to illuminate around us, but to illuminate others as well. But the second, and that leads to this, is light then radiates, chases away the darkness. It makes the darkness go away. We can start to see details and nuances that we couldn't before. We start to understand and things become clear in our life that we need to get rid of. And But here's a trap with radiate. When, when light begins to radiate, we can actually start to use it as a weapon then because we can see God dealing with stuff in our life and we start to look at other people's lives and go why aren't you dealing with this and we have this judgmental spirit that starts to take over our life and we stop just radiating and we turn light into radiation literally and we start aiming it on somebody and literally cooking them and and burning them with this light we weaponize the grace and the beauty of God and we start to destroy other people with it, and that's not why God gave us this light. As it, as we, there's a beautiful passage about dealing with the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. And this is what illumination does: it allows us to see things and understand things, but not use those to put people down or to destroy people. But the third thing about light that I love is that it perpetuates. That light can be shared and then multiplied. Fire burns fire. Fire gives fire to fire to fire. I mean, it just spreads out. And if you don't know this, light actually never dissipates. It just keeps going. What dims light is that the particles and the waves spread out so far that there's not concentrated together. But light just continues throughout the universe. The only thing that can kind of contain light is when we put barriers to keep light from getting out. And this is a trap sometime of Christians. We start following Jesus. We start to get a new sense of the saltiness of our life. We're, we're feeling wisdom. We're feeling a new flavor, new desires. We see starting to see things in our own life better than others. And we're starting to understand the wisdom of God. And instead of letting that perpetuate out, we start to isolate ourselves. We try to create these barriers to keep the light in and be like, I, I want all that I have. The worst place for a light to be is in a place that's already full of light. 
doesn't make an impact. The best place for a light to be is in the darkness, in a place that needs light, in a place that needs to push back the darkness. It's not that we should ever distance ourselves. We should actually run to the dark places and take our light with us. Are you expressing the light of life that you have experienced? Are you trying to dim it, contain it, to put up shades and boxes to keep the light that you have in? One of the hardest things to do is actually create a, a room where there's no light can get out or come in. And that's not the way God designed it. He created us to have open windows and open hearts to share. As we close, let me just a few thoughts on these last verses. Matthew five seventeen through 18, it says, Do not think, Jesus is saying, now that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill them. For truly I say, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota or not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And what Jesus is saying here, once you've had this internal change and you start to have an external impact, there's another aspect of this, and we start to have an eternal impact with our life. It's eternal. It says, until all things are accomplished. I love that Jesus says he did not come to abolish the law, to take away whatever rule. All right, we can do whatever we want now. God says, no, there's still righteousness and holiness and unrighteousness. And if you choose the wrong path, there's consequence to that. And while I offer forgiveness, we will sometimes still have to pay the consequence of sin. So he's saying, still be careful. Listen, don't, don't think that following me means that you have to do whatever you want to do with no consequence. That's not the kind of freedom he's offering. He's offering freedom down a path that he has already <coughs> cleared out and made a way for. But he said, I came to fulfill it. And I love this. The law was actually designed, that he's talking about here, to help man and God reconnect, to create a pathway for God to reconnect, or man to reconnect back to God. And he said, I'm coming to fulfill it, to do that work fully and finally. The way that you and I stay connected to our Creator is through a relationship with Christ. And then he says, once you do this, then all is accomplished. And I love this. He said, it won't be done until the end of days. We don't stop growing. We don't stop letting these internal chains happen and this external impact to occur in our life as well. So how do we get to the end of our lives and not look back and go, what if? It's very simple calling. Let the salt be formed in the inside of who you are. Let it bring about a change in such a way that you let that light shine. Don't spend your life trying to contain a life or to slow down the change that's happening. The way you get to the end of life and you say, man, what a ride, instead of what if, is to allow the work of Christ to blossom in your life and to then be expressed out everywhere you go. So my question for you today is this. Will you stop looking back on life with regret, what could have been, and start looking forward in your life with hope of what can be? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we pray, just having this moment, I want us to uh, just take a moment and let these words sink in, to let the truth of what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world to really impact what our perspective on what it means to follow Jesus is. Maybe you struggle in one of these two areas. Maybe you, you fight against the internal change that's happening. You say, it's too fast, Jesus, too much. 
and you just don't feel comfortable and you need to, to let that blossom. Or maybe you deal with the challenge of letting your light be expressed out to others. To let it shine. To not hide it under a bush. But to let all the world see it. Not so they can be impressed with you, but so that they can begin to have the light shining on their life and they can begin to experience those internal changes like you did. The way that God's light is most brightly shown in this world is through hands and feet and the hearts of those who follow him as we shine our light. Father, today as we come before you in this moment as we have a chance just to close with a song that helps us to to think about who you are and how we connect with you. God, would you use these truths today? Would you use these words, these greatest hits out of your word to really change our lives? To let us be free to let the internal changes flow in our life and then let it just flow out of us as quick as it happens. God, this is a teaching this morning that's easy to read easy to think about, maybe even easy to take a couple of notes on, but it's hard to live. So would you give us the faith we need to follow you, the desires that we need to embrace you? God, help us to live the lives that you called us to, lives without regret.